Well, good morning. Today is the uh, first Sunday of Lent. Lent began this past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. And so we're going to look at the traditional passage uh, for Lent, which is we look at uh, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. So I want to read from Luke. Uh, this year the lectionary has us in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him an in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all the authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command the angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let us pray. The Lord just pray that uh, as we look at this passage in this first Sunday of Lent, we just invite you to be among us. I pray that all that is said and shared be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage is familiar to, to many of us. Um, and as I said, it's traditionally, it's the passage you always look at, the beginning of Lent. Uh, it's recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. And today we're looking at Luke's version. And there's some things I want us to think about. There's a few things that are different with Luke's version than Matthew's version. But overall, it's, it's similar. The order of the, of the uh, temptations is different. But I want us to begin and, th and think about some overarching ideas that sometimes we may forget we may lose sight of, that I think are important, important themes for us to remember. One of them is the fact that, you know, if you are committed to God, and we talk about that, we've been talking about uh, discipleship and following Jesus and following where God may lead and devotion to God. If you are committed to God and to following where, where God may want and what God may want for your life, understand that does not mean you're exempt or immune from temptation and from the temptation that comes from the evil one. Um, and sometimes I think we have this idea that if we get tempted and, and sometimes we stand strong during it and sometimes we, we fail in it. But just the fact that we get tempted sometimes makes us feel that you know, we're, we're weak, we have some, somehow failed, that we have a, a vulnerability. Well, the truth is, when we're tempted, we're, we're in some pretty good company. 
And here Jesus is completely devoted to God. Here we have the Son of God who, following the will of God, gets tempted. So when, when the fact that we get tempted, sometimes we may even be embarrassed to admit that we're tempted by things. Well, so is Jesus. That, that loving God does not make you exempt from, from being tempted by the enemy. Uh, one of the other ideas I was thinking about that we often forget, sometimes we think about Jesus as like um, somehow Superman or superhuman or, you know, and yes, could, could do anything, but is, is God's son. But I want us to understand Scripture also says is fully human. That when, when we think about Jesus, you know, who people say, even the question of, like, at his baptism, why was he baptized? Because he couldn't sin. He was, he was God in the flesh. And almost like he, he couldn't have given in to temptation. It wasn't a problem for Jesus. He couldn't have given in to temptation. And that just doesn't hold up with Scripture. That here, it's, it's, he, is, he is actually tempted. Tempted by, by the enemy. In Hebrews, we're told that he's tempted in every way that we, we are tempted. And, and stands stand strong through it, doesn't give in, but knows what it means to be tempted. That well, he had a real dilemma and, and choice. And, and one of the other things that, that kind of goes with that idea of, well, he, he couldn't have been tempted, is also this idea that these temptations, they're not realistic. Um, that, you know, they seem so black and white that, you know, we start talking about the ways that we're tempted. They're subtle. They're, they're you know, areas of gray, areas of uncertainty, you know, subtle things. And these seem so blatant and, and black and white that they just, they're, they're different somehow. Well, I want us to realize, too, don't read into the text what is our assumption or what we think or things we've heard about or even images we have that sometimes make them black and white for us. There's, there's some things that aren't said that we may assume or some ways that it, it may not have been as black and white as we think. That these are real temptations, the way the enemy really works. So as we, as we think about that, we'll begin looking at, at these temptations. But it says here that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Just a reminder, we've said that before. In Luke's gospel, uh, there's a handful of people that are mentioned as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Luke is preparing you for Acts after the resurrection. And when the Spirit comes at Pentecost, we've said before, the Holy Spirit is filling all kinds of people. The goal is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But here we see Jesus who is filled with the Holy Spirit, devoted to God, led in the wilderness. And wilderness can be, you know, it was last year, or maybe the year before, I preached a, a series going into Lent about wilderness moments. The wilderness in Scripture is a place, yes, it's difficulty. It's often a place of testing and struggle and challenge, but it's also the moments that God works in some profound ways. Wilderness are moments that we, we grow significantly. But understand, it's Jesus filled with the Spirit, wanting to follow where God is leading, that leads into this wilderness. 
and then results in the temptation. So, the first temptation, and there again, as we think about it, it just seems, you know, like it's a black and white thing. Hey, and the devil shows up and, you know, tempts us with something. It's, I think about sometimes, you know, if you remember that, I guess it was Saturday Night Live, that was John Lovitz that used to dress up like the devil. And, you know, if John Lovitz showed up in the devil outfit um, saying, here, you know, if you do this, I'll give you a million dollars, or if you do that, or, you know, I, I probably would could easily say no. But it's the subtleties. It's the, it's the sim, simple, subtle ways that I want us to think about just a little bit what's not in there. It doesn't say that the devil showed up in some physical form and looked like some scary creature. The enemy is very subtle. It doesn't say how the enemy spoke to Jesus, how the temptation came. You know, when I, when I think about it, that the, the subtleties of it and how the enemy, enemy works, that I think about, you know, the fact that there's not an eyewitness here. That either one, and, and some people believe that this was added into the text and it's to illustrate a point about Jesus. That, that's one idea. The other one is Jesus had to tell people about the temptation in the wilderness, which I happen to believe that's, that's the direction to go. That, you know, wandering around the Sea of Galilee and the you know, hours they walked together, the hours that Jesus spent with the disciples teaching, at some point he told them about being tempted in, in the wilderness. And, you know, I shared, Katie and I, after going to, to Israel, you, you kind of see things, maybe think about it a little differently. I just was thinking about Jesus walking around Galilee with the disciples or walking and teaching and talking. Or, or maybe, you know, we went to the place where traditionally it's said that he multiplied the loaves and the fish. And then we, we went the Wadi Kelt, where it is traditionally where he's to be in the, assumed that he was in the wilderness. You know, I just think about what if, you know, after the multiplying of the loaves and the fish, you know, they're amazed by it. You know, he'd make this bread. I mean, Jesus might have said to his disciples, you know, I, you know, the Wadi Kelt, uh, y'all have been there. You know, you know, there I was, I was there and I was, I was spending time with God in the wilderness and, and, and seeking God. And I just got so tempted you know, I, 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 was, I was starving. I didn't eat for 40 days. An interesting thing is, in Luke's gospel, it doesn't say that it's a 40-day fast. It doesn't say that he was fasting out of devotion of God and kind of dedicated this. To, to, it just says he didn't eat during that time. So maybe telling the disciples, you know, I just didn't eat during that time. And, and there towards the end, I was just starving. And, and I would see this, and there's these rocks there that they, they look... Actually, they look like little loaves of bread. And Jesus just telling his disciples, seeing these loaves of bread and just hearing this, this voice, this idea, just, just turn it in, turn this stone into bread. It looks like bread and, and you're just so hungry, just, just do it. No one will know. No one would know unless Jesus told them. 
and there, there's not a scripture in the Old Testament that says, thou shalt not turn stones into, into bread. There was nothing wrong with it. It doesn't say in Luke's, and there again, you got to stay in Luke's gospel to understand what Luke's saying. It doesn't say that it's a dedicated fast. That this idea that I was hungry and this temptation to just turn, turn this stone in, into bread came in. He didn't do it. Here's the question of why. You know, no one would know. Just a simple, simple thing. But understand, in Luke's gospel, what is important is the fact that it says he's filled with the Spirit. In my opinion, I think that's the key. That he's filled with the Spirit, he's led into the desert, he gets tempted and he only does what it is God, through the Spirit, wants him to do. It's a principle. You see, you see how the disciples fail and Peter denies him and all that stuff in Luke's gospel. But then you get to Acts. And you can watch the progression. I mean, you see it hinted at in Luke's gospel. You really see the disciples. Like Peter, I think he really discovers to fully surrender and to do whatever it is the, whole, the Spirit says to do and don't do whatever it is the Spirit says not to do, just to totally be devoted to God. He gets that about Acts chapter 12 when he's in prison. I think you see the same journey of Paul. This idea... And we've said it before. I've said it before talking about the Old Testament law, kind of the, the point of the Old Testament law, all these lists of do's and don'ts that get very specific about what you eat, how you clean your house. In my opinion, it's that God never changes the target. The goal is God wants to be a part of every single aspect of your life, if you'll let him. God wants to be a part. God will lead in, in the smallest areas. The problem is that we don't want to really let him. We don't really want to surrender pieces and places. And that's true of, of all of us. But here I think the key that, that Luke is stressing, is he didn't go turning bread. He didn't go using his authority for his own benefit. And even when no one may know, or even when it might even not have been wrong, it was that, the Spirit of God didn't tell him to do it. He's fully devoted to what God would want him to do. This idea of, of using his authority in a way that was for himself. He responds here out of um, Deuteronomy. Every time he, he meets the enemy with, with Scripture... It shows the importance of Scripture, and every time it's Deuteronomy. And here it's Deuteronomy chapter 8. But in, in chapter 8, where Jesus is quoting, the verse that he is quoting, if you read the whole verse, he's talking about the manna, the, the, the bread that Jesus provided for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. And it says the, the manna that God provided from heaven. And then you don't live 
by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. The idea that it's God who provided, and it's God's word you wait on. And you see, that's what Jesus is doing here. It increases that idea that you just rely and trust on God to do it. We struggle with that. But here I think we see Jesus illustrating that. Uh, the next two temptations, and I'll just say this at this point, the next two temptations, Jesus responds also with Deuteronomy. But he responds with Deuteronomy chapter 6, an area of Scripture that's known as the, the Shema. That starts, the Shema starts in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. To love God with everything you have, heart, soul, and mind, three things. And Jesus responds twice, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think that is, we are supposed to think about Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema, when we think about these temptations. That in this event in the wilderness, Jesus is actually showing us what it means, how it might look to love God with your full heart, your full soul, and all your mind. One of these temptations deals with his physical self as might and with his soul with his heart that could be torn in different directions so that first one he quotes chapter 8 and I don't think it was as black as white as we think as subtle I think that's true of the second one as well that here it says that he's taken to a, a high peak in the area where he is there's some there's some high peaks where you could come and see and it says in one instant he he sees all the kingdoms of the world now maybe it's true that that in one moment he is given an image of all the kingdoms of the world from Russia to China to India or whatever whatever kingdoms of the world that existed at the time uh, there weren't any of them called that or but Maybe every kingdom that's ever going to exist. I don't know, but we think about that and saying that you have authority over that. But really, Jesus already has authority. In Luke's gospel, authority is a major theme. Luke talks about his authority a lot. The authority he has over evil, the authority that other people see in him and it impresses them. The fact that the centurion sees and says he's a man of authority, that authority is important. And he does have authority. But how do you live out that authority? He lives out the authority by doing the will of God. So this temptation, and it may be that he sees this image, but I think about it more in terms of maybe it's as subtle as seeing what he actually deserves. Seeing the kingdoms of his world all of the kingdoms of Jesus's world. Because see, the truth is, Jesus never traveled more than about 30 miles from where he was born. That's the world that he lived in. And there are places in this area of the country that you could see 
the two kingdoms that are dominant in his world. That you could see the palace of, of Herod in Jericho. The summer palace and see that and see what, if you were the king of the Jews, that, that's yours, you deserve that. You're the king of the Jews, you've come to be the king, why don't you just take, take the throne? And from that location, you could also see uh, barracks and places that were dedicated to Rome. That's the other major kingdom of his world. In one moment, seeing from Herod's throne, I mean Herod's palace and decadence, and seeing the Roman rule. I think there's a temptation there to, it's yours. You've come to be the king. Take what's yours. Take what you deserve. And that is also maybe the temptation, as we've said before, throughout all the Gospels. You see people expecting Jesus to take back the throne of Herod, to become the king, the literal king, and to get coronated and become the king of Israel and to kick out the Romans. There's also the temptation, I think, you see here. And not just the idea of worshiping the devil. But really the word means service. When you serve something other than God, it can be going down the road of serving the enemy. Do I think in this you see a subtle subtlety as well? To possibly, why don't you give the people what they want, Jesus? You're the king. That's what they're going to want. Why don't you... You can take authority over all of it, and you can take the throne from Herod, and you can defeat the Romans, and you can give the people what, what they want. Now, that's a more subtle, significant temptation. Ever been tempted to give other people what they want? To go with the flow? Or to maybe try to just, I'm just getting what I, what I think I deserve, what's mine already, what I should already have. But the enemy can creep in in subtle ways. These are real temptations. Scripture says he is tempted in every way that we are. And then here again he, he responds with Deuteronomy chapter 6. Saying that you, you serve only God. And if God wants him to take that, if God wants him to do that, God will let him know. But at this point, he's going to do what you feel God wants him to do. You serve, worship only God. Do we ever let anything else uh, get in the way of us putting God first? As I've said before, that in Scripture, that's called idolatry. Choosing our own path, even when it might sound like a good one. Might be what we think we deserve. Giving the people around us what they, what they want, and it doesn't even seem that bad at the time. Hey, 
defeat Rome and set your people free. Take the throne that's yours and do what's right for Israel. That, but that's not the way God wanted it. And, and then we get to the, the third temptation. And the, the subtlety here, I think, is taking him to the temple. And was the fact that the devil, the enemy, the accuser, the evil force uses scripture against Jesus at this point. That if you're the son of God, questions who he is. Well, all this, yeah, you're, you, you, you think you're all this great child of God. It's claimed at your baptism and all that stuff. Well, if you are, why don't you... Why don't you jump off here? Because it says here in the Scripture, in the Psalms, it makes this promise that if you're devoted and faithful and if you are who you are, then the angels will catch you and they won't let you die. The, the enemy uses Scripture. Now there's a subtlety for you. How many times do we take Scripture out of context? How many times do we well, pull a Scripture or... Let the enemy, I believe, will twist Scripture. I've said before, if you're willing to take Scripture out of context and let that happen, you can prove just about anything you want to with the Bible. The enemy loves to, to twist it. We get passages of Scripture that we only read half of. We'll claim them as our you know, life passage and forget the other half of it. There's so many times, you know, I've heard people quote some promise from Scripture that God should give me what I ask for, ignoring the part that we should be asking in God's will, or take something out of context and see how it doesn't measure up, or pull passages and say they contradict and question God over things. God, if you're really there, if you just do this or do that, but the subtlety of it is how the enemy can even use Scripture against us. So, here again, Jesus responds with Deuteronomy chapter 6. That I think draws us back into the truth that Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema begins with, which is what every good Israelite would have, would have said multiple times a day. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And here we see Jesus doing it, giving us an example of what it might look like. So what do we do with it? It's a pretty, pretty significant example. Well, I think it's important to remember, as I've said before, that God never changes the target. God has always wanted to be part of our lives, inviting us to follow and to be transformed and to know that when we, as in Luke, who's writing this, when later he writes Acts and talks about the, the Holy Spirit being poured out as, as the Spirit of Christ himself that, that enters into us. It's part of why he died and paid the price so that 
God's presence, that Jesus' presence and spirit can be in us to give us the strength, the authority to reject the temptation, to, to not respond to it, to know that's what's been placed in you. He, he died for that because he wants, wants us to follow wants us to learn to go and do where he says because that's the way the kingdom comes you know every sunday we pray the lord's prayer we pray thy kingdom come thy will be done well how it happens is when we start wanting to follow and to do to do his will and that's how the kingdom comes here on earth but also as we so often say also remember that Jesus knows how we're tempted. He knew how the disciples would all be tempted. Even when it says here, and Satan would wait, the devil will wait for a more opportune time. Same, similar language of the opportune time and temptation that comes to Jesus through Judas. who will betray him for money. He knows our temptations, our struggle. Peter, who will deny him. And it always begins with his grace. It is the good news of the gospel. It is the grace of Christ that allows us to acknowledge our sin and to realize that, yeah, and maybe these, these temptations aren't as black and white as we think they are. You place them in their subtleties, and when you think about the fact, do we ever subtly use religion for gain or the simple thing to give in to our flesh? Nobody, nobody will see, nobody will know. Ways that are bad, but sometimes even ways that are good. It's just not what God wants. Or are we ever tempted to be successful instead of faithful? Are we wooed by the riches of the world? Do we ever compromise instead of stand firm? Do we ever avoid sacrifice and suffering? Well, the truth is, yes, we do. And in this Lenten season, that is one of the things we're reminded of, our own brokenness and our own sin and mortality. We're reminded of it in the light of the gospel, the good news of the one who, yes, meets us where we are, who offers us forgiveness, but also the one who wants to fill us and empower us and strengthen us. To learn and to grow and to be stronger and to withstand temptation. So may we take this Lent as an opportunity and, you know, to come clean, to, to be honest, but as we've been talking about, to also step out in faith and to seek where God may want us to grow 
and to take a next step in our faith and our discipleship and in following. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you for how you love us. We thank you for the fact that you know us. We see here in this passage, you know how we are tempted. How the enemy works in our lives. You also know how we fail. That's why you knew you would pay the price for it. To redeem us. To restore us from the clutches of the enemy and to fill us and want us to live anew in your presence. May you fill us, may you guide us, may you lead us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.